Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. In this, our latest UK roundtable, we look at the impact that the cost of living crisis has had on the UK's small and medium-sized businesses, and what, if any, opportunities may emerge. With Sarah Gresty, Head of Investments, Michael Hartig, Head of Specialist Teams Business Banking, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. Welcome to another edition of Word on the Straits. It's been another pretty eventful week, to say the least. As such, we'll be focusing on the UK again. And this time, we are very lucky to be rejoined by Michael Hartwick from our business bank. And always, we have Will here to help us. So, Will, maybe you can set the scene for us. We've had a pretty eventful Conservative Party conference. Was there anything in the major speeches for investors to take note of? There was a bit, wasn't there, Sarah? I mean, I think, um, I think there was a lot. Uh, yeah, there was a lot. <laughs> but I think, I mean, from a markets point, well, say from a from a me not getting fired point of view, we've got Olivia and team who were there, I believe. So they'll give us a detailed account of what happened next week on next week's uh, podcast. Uh, alongside, we can have then a bit more a bit more detailed discussion on what to do about mortgage rates and so on, as we were talking about. You know, we started into this last week, and we, we can do a bit more today as well. But However, I think there wasn't in there too much that really changed any immediate uh, um, opinions in terms of markets. Um, you know, what people are looking for is, you know, what we're going to see in terms of detail from the new chancellor uh, with those brought forward, more detailed plans, uh, you know, uh, updated sort of fiscal plans that we've heard a lot of talk about. And also, I think important here is obviously, you know, what we're going to hear from about those spending plans from the independent watchdog, the Office of Budget Responsibility. So I'll sort of defer the question a bit if that's all right okay yeah maybe picking up on the chancellor do we have any sense of what investors are looking for him to say yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because historically investors have, you know, accorded chancellors quite a bit of latitude for so-called, you know, fiscal fudges, you know, things like kind of medium term, reasonably vague or necessarily vague promises of spending restraint, fiddling kind of goalpost positions and sort of, you know, on debt declines or even the definition of what uh, what you're looking for. However, I think it's conceivable that markets will be in a less forgiving mood in the wake of the, you know, this amazing response to the, to, to, to the mini budget. The reality is that there does appear to be very little room for manoeuvre. The political appetite for meaningful, political and you know, public appetite for meaningful austerity, uh, or whatever you want to call it, is surely quite limited. The step back from the 45p rate cut is kind of minor, you know, in terms of fiscal picture. That wasn't, that was never a big part of the overall pie. It got Got a lot of headlines, obviously, but the big bits outside of the energy price action were the corporate tax hold and the, the, the reversal of the planned national insurance move. But so the feeling is that, you know, they've got to find roughly 30, 40 billion of savings from somewhere in the next few years. I, I mean, you know, you think of the things that we, uh, you know, we really spend money on. The NHS is obviously, you know, the elephant in the room. It's about, uh, you know, almost half of the UK's day to day spending. And you know, there you are already, you know, already visibly under strain in some parts. You know, people talk about accident emergency wait times as one example of this. You know, these are the statistics that are bandied around. The other, I think, is the degree to which healthcare spending plans um, have routinely 
massively underestimated the ex-post reality since the 1980s. You know, so very difficult choices lie ahead for the Chancellor. But there does seem to be an increasing impression in markets that in a couple of weeks' time, you know, some of those trade-offs are going to be narrowed. Either you're going to see spending cuts to make the, you know, the books balance up, or you'll see, you know, more U-turns on, you know, some of the sort of, uh, some of the parts of the package that that were advertised to start with. So there is a sense amongst investors that we've been speaking to this week that you are going to see, uh, yes, restraint advertised, I guess. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, looking forward to talking about it again next week. So, Michael, moving on to you, this must have been another extremely challenging time for the multitude of businesses that you and your team help. But maybe we could start with the more positive use of the last few weeks, a little more visibility and predictability on energy bills. Was that helpful? Yes, Nasiria, actually, touched on a really good point, actually, because I think I've touched on in the past the fact that actually so businesses are used to sort of challenges, you know, on the basis over the years, it could be. Um, it could be change rates. It could be it could be a variety of other changes. The challenge the challenge for business is uncertainty, and if you think about the present the present circumstances, the uncertainty has been incredible. You've had uncertainty in terms of actually what will happen in terms of energy bills. There's been exchange rate volatility. There are supply chain issues. There's a whole series of things where there's just there's uncertainty, and on the basis the business community actually likes to understand the challenge they've got, and then they can actually tackle that. So certainly the work that was done to actually give clarity for the next six months on the energy bills was welcome. On the basis, I think there is still some concern as to what happens after that six months, but it's just taken away actually one element of the, the worry list that businesses had as they were going into winter. Um, I was facing some really significant uh, headwinds across the other challenges, really. So it welcome, but very much looking to actually what happens next. And I guess just just maybe just to sort of also flag out, um, the, 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 the business uncertainty that's out there is something that we're acutely aware of. And certainly, so me and my bankers are spending an awful lot of time um, running a series of clinics whereby we can signpost the support that's available and actually bring our clients together so they can understand how they can work through this uncertainty. And we're getting a great deal of take up on that because actually, in effect, the business is now wanting to, to learn from each other and learn how they can actually to work through these almost, almost I guess, unprecedented times of challenge. Yeah, I love that. That sounds like a great thing to do. Thank you. Michael, maybe the other question I had is, what about, are you still having more conversations in the business community around how they organise their debts, fixed, variable, and so on? Yeah, yeah. Listen, obviously, I guess that's the other thing. If, if you think back to the last sort of five years or 10 years, and Will talked on the challenges that we've seen, I guess, in public finances, I mean, it's just going back a very long time ago. On the basis, we've been living in an incredibly low the low interest rate environment and so businesses have not had to worry about the interest rate volatility all of a sudden in effect they've now got interest rate volatility and they're now contemplating a fix or fixed rate but obviously and if they're looking at the cost of those fixed rates and are now having to debate as to whether they want to go in and actually fix their rates or whether they want to to remain on variable rates the, the other issue that we find particularly if you look at some of our buy to let clients and some of those um, investors is that the financial institutions are all applying the stress test rates in terms of when they are trying to assess those cash flows. And that means the leverage or the gearing or the loan to value that those the investors can achieve is now substantially lower than it used to be because the working assumption is rates will go up. So businesses are now having to make a decision in terms of, am I prepared to actually to run the interest rate risk or do I want to 
have certainty and to fix that interest rate risk, but accept that in the short term it's got a higher cost of carry. And those are the debates that our clients are now going through and, 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 and in effect having to make a determination on those points. So really topical and uh, we're seeing a sort of a substantial increase in dialogue actually with our clients and across, across all sectors. But it's also impacting, I guess, potentially the, the businesses are thinking about investing because they're wondering in terms of, do I now invest in that plant or that factory in this, until I know where interest rates are going to be? So hopefully if the world can get less exciting in the next couple of weeks, in that case, we can get more certainty in and we'll make some, some, some positive investment intentions and make Will happy and see an increase in productivity. Oh, that'd be nice. And I can all try and talk them back into boredom. That would be the thing. Just promote, promote, put my voice out on that. I'll talk, talk the economy back to sleep. Um, I, I, yeah, I agree. But Michael, it's super interesting you saying that about sort of, you know, some of the discussions you're having with businesses at the moment. Because I guess, you know, this is the same problem for households and the Bank of England. You know, you just think like, how do they weigh up the various sensitivities? Because I mean, obviously, a lot of the focus recently has about, been about the stress in the mortgage market. Now, we know that the UK, you know, in terms of interest rate, UK consumer households, in terms of interest rate sensitivity, there's less sensitivity sensitive than they were in the past households. Um, you know, you've got a huge proportion of the mortgage debt, which is fixed between two and five, uh, you know, two to five years. But I think still around a third is maturing in the next couple of years. Um, and those, you know, those households are potentially facing kind of eye-watering increases in their mortgage payments. And, you know, the bank, bank of things, you know, obviously, you know, in amongst all of the problems they're facing, the trade-offs they're facing, they're not going to want to sort of see a mortgage crisis and, you know, what might happen to house prices and so on. Now, I mean, just as a sort of, you know, one of the interesting sort of asides about the mortgage exposures, and we get a lot of questions about this, and we were just hearing from the investment, our investment bank colleagues on this, is a lot of the mortgage um, exposure is concentrated in the wealthier households where also kind of a lot of those excess savings we've talked about. And this surely restrains the amount that they can act in the months ahead. You know, will they make it as high as, you know, 5.5 or 6% in terms of base rates? Uh, you know, you can understand why there's some skepticism about, um, you know, how far they can go, um, given some of the sort of restraints on their action, including, uh, you know, what's going on in mortgage markets and, uh, and so on. Yeah, well, definitely extremely challenging times, but also very difficult to know where things will land. Maybe taking it a step back, maybe to a slightly easier question. Are there worries about the absolute level of UK debt or is this current market movement more just about the trajectory? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've sort of bored on about this quite a lot in the past. As a house, we've taken the view that actually, you know, you need to remember with regards to UK government debt, we've borrowed a lot more in the past as a percentage of GDP, and it doesn't have to end in disaster. You know, one of the things about this economy and you know, Michael was talking about getting back to being boring. And I, I think that's totally true of the economy in general. We all need to get back to doing what we're really good at. More broadly, you know, one of the key attractions over many years, decades, centuries uh, in this economy has been the predictability of our institutions, the rule of law. Those uh, those things are incredibly attractive. But also, you know, we do still have like incredible comparative advantages. You know, our, this is self-serving and I've talked about it before. We've all talked about it before. But financial services is a really, really strong comparative advantage over many centuries. Again, uh, you know, even previous to the Industrial Revolution, insurance and banking industries were you know, well-developed relative to the rest of the world. Universities, incredible universities we have, you know, life sciences is increasingly an emerging one. There's, you know, there's other areas we can, re we have enviable starting point in which to sort of really 
supercharge our economy. You want to focus on what you're good at. You know, you want to control as much of the externalities as possible, have as much predictable as you can, uh, and then you can focus on doing what you, you know, doing what you, you you're there for, which is you know that particular product or service, just providing more of it and getting better at it, and so on. Now, I, you know, I mean, I, we always use the example with regards to the sort of 1815, you know, where just after Napoleon was uh, was beaten at Waterloo, the UK had debt to GDP, of, I think, around 250% versus way, way, way south of that. Now, by the end of, you know, by about 1900, we paid that down to around 25% of GDP. It didn't take massive devaluations or huge inflation necessarily, or there was some of that. Most of it was eaten away by productivity in a way. Huge surges in productivity. Sorry, Michael, I'm always talking about this, aren't I? But I always get out there somehow. But that's the point is that, you know, we were making, you know, finding huge efficiencies in the way that we do things because of new technology. Now, I would argue that, you know, again, we're at another point. Technology is proliferating and we just got to take advantage of it. The final quick point just on debt, and because, yes, I do think it's something about the trajectory that the market wants to see an improvement on. That's part of the challenge at the moment is that, you know, what you've got is the Bank of England has sort of, you know, what what international investors are sort of saying in the aftermath of that budget is that we feel a little bit warier about lending to the UK and we want a little bit more what's called risk premium in order to lend to you. So I want to, you know, I just want a little bit more compensation for the risk of lending to the UK. Lending to people is always a risk. And, you know, you, you obviously look for variable interest rates in order to compensate you for those risks. But the problem is that the Bank of England, in a sense, and I'm being really oversimplistic here, but hopefully you'll get the picture. But, you know, the Bank of England has said, like, well, we can't allow long end, you know, government bonds to fly, bond yields to fly higher because we're worried about the stresses in pensions and mortgages and so on. So we're going to tamp that down and buy long term, long end bonds to try and keep that stable. But that means the kind of pressure point is probably in sterling because the other way of making, you know, UK government more attractive, cheaper to international investors is through the currency. So there's, 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 you know, these things, you squeeze one side and it comes out the other. It's a bit like whack-a-mole, isn't it? And it, yes, it, it's a, these are very difficult times. That's all I'm trying to say. It's a long term, but I don't think the absolute level of debt is that much of a concern. Personally, I think the UK could sustain much more debt in many ways. But what international investors want to see is the idea that it's not, you know, soaring higher without much hope of sort of, you know, ever going in the other direction. So you know, Will, it's a really good point, and I like your analogy of of of, of the 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 whack a mole. Really, I'm struggling to actually to go back as far as 1815 in terms of my own economic history. Really, so I'll defer to you in terms of that that timeline and chronology. But if you think about the exchange rate, exchange exchange rate volatility we've seen in um, in recent months, you know, uh, you know. But quite recently, it was a one thirty-five dollar, and and we were talking quite recently about it, it breaking one or breaching one. Now that's a that's a phenomenal amount of volatility in terms of when you, as you said earlier, and if you're a business who's actually trying to plan ahead, trying to trying to lock in the margins in terms of when you're importing, because because actually by and large we still have large importers, and you are dealing with supply chain challenges, and on top of that you overlay the um, the incredible volatility you see in exchange rates really. So. Um, the the you know um, on the basis it, we can cope with an exchange rate. The thing that we can't cope with is the is the sharp spikes um, and 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 volatility in short term really. Because you know if you go an exchange rate, you can then set and calibrate your business in terms of your margins and in terms of 
the the supply chain issues you face really but what is a challenge and as you say um it's it's um is whack-a-mole um is just that volatility we see in exchange rates so that's certainly something which is so what do you how do you help custom companies with that i mean what can we do because i mean you know the bigger companies can surely kind of manufacture where they sell and kind of hedge those kind of things but what's the what are the options yeah. Yeah, so listen on the base. I guess the one thing that sort of that the COVID has taught us is a number of companies are looking at the supply chain. So actually, can you actually nearshore or actually sort of source actually more of your of your material actually from the the, the same economic zone or the same currency zone? So that helps, um, I guess. In most cases, you still got currency exposure, and it's being thoughtful by making sure you try and actually get a hedge in terms of to make sure you can lock in those margins and. And make sure, and if you're not exposed to their volatility, and then these are discussion our clients are having, and it'll get to a point really where the supply chain actually won't wear it anymore. Is actually how do they pass on some of those costs to their clients, etc. Now there is, um, and, and and Will, if you better place to talk about this as well than I am, but clearly the Bank of England's concerned about the, I guess, the embedding of inflation in the supply chain, really. But at the moment, in terms of volatility, if we are seeing our clients try and try to pass that on uh, to the end customer, and ultimately that feeds through to the, the consumers at the end of the day. We do like to try and finish on a high. So I know we've talked a lot about the challenges of this volatile environment at the moment, but could either of you help us out uh, with some maybe closing high Absolutely, Sarah. So if I can go first, really, Thank I guess you. the I, I, I guess the sort of the really positive discussions we're having with our, our customers, and actually, in fact, there are are keen to sort of to find a way of embracing it, is on the sustainability agenda. So our customers are very keen to understand how they can actually work to to try to reduce their carbon footprint um, in terms of investing in, in in sort of electric vehicles and EVs. And it's actually because they realize it's the right thing to do. And they realize actually that there's a generation of employees and customers that expect them to do that. But also they're seeing the supply chain asking them in terms of what they are doing to make sure that they are are on the sustainability journey. So we're seeing a desire for the SMEs up and down the country, all from the, the farmers at one end to the, the B2B and the B2C suppliers to really start embracing sustainability in a way which is, which is, which is encouraging really, because I think actually some of that will lead to improved, improved productivity again, Will, but also in effect they are doing good, et cetera. So that's a, that's a positive I take away from this era. Thank you. Will? So I, that's a great point. And I'll, I'll, I'll leap off that, actually, Michael. So thank you. for. I'm going to borrow some, some positivity from you. But I think that's a story also like you're seeing at the country level. So, you know, the, you know, the demands of resilience and the environment are like coinciding really nicely. They always were. But in a way that is really supercharging, hopefully, you know, a very necessary move. Uh, from that front i'd also make my usual familiar point is that times of strife and kind of difficulty and uh you know they generally force humans to come to the answers that's been the story in the past that it's, it's been a it's tended to be most of the time a bad idea to just sort of extrapolate downwards and say well things are gloomy now and therefore i should just expect things to get gloomer and gloomer and you know now these kind of times tend to be quite good time to try and just raise your eye line a bit and just look a bit further out and look at you know i was speaking to one of our fund managers in the us and he was just saying you know the things that you don't get the headlines on but there's just a breathtaking pace of innovation and artificial intelligence associated and other areas in America and other, you know, in the places where he was looking at in terms of the corporate side of things. And he just thinks 
you know, and I guess this is sort of something that, you know, a US fund manager would say, but he was really remarkable, you know, saying how there has been a remarkable step up since the pandemic in terms of just adoption and some of the innovation that's going on. Remember, that's what we're trying to access. And that's where that's where the future lies for all of us. That's where a better future lies ahead is obviously all of us making more with less. Well, Michael, I think that's a lovely place to end it. So thank you very much for joining us. And Michael, in particular, thank you for bringing us some of the insights from your business customers. And thank you, listeners, for listening again this week. Look forward to speaking with you all again soon. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.